Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, my friends? This is Dr. Will Cole, and this is another episode of the art of being well. And I want that all for you. I want you to learn about the science and the art of being well. I am a functional medicine practitioner. If you didn't know, now you know. My day job is I consult people just like you all around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over 12 years ago. For 12 years, I've been talking to people 10 hours a day on webcam and we drop ship labs to them and provide them a functional medicine perspective on why they're struggling with different health problems, whether that be autoimmune issues or brain health issues like anxiety, depression, fatigue, uh, hormonal problems, digestive problems, all of these different confluence of inflammatory and autoimmune health issues. That's my heart and my passion is to help people overcome these. And I've also written about this stuff at length. I've written three books. First book is Ketotarian. It's a mostly plant-based ketogenic way of eating. Second book is The Inflammation Spectrum, which is really a deep dive in my work in functional medicine. And my newest book is called Intuitive Fasting, which is a, as its name implies, an intuitive approach to intermittent fasting of how to get people metabolically flexible to eat intuitively and really resonate from a place of intuition and grace and lightness. I love this stuff, guys. And you can learn more about all the stuff that I do, whether that be my telehealth functional medicine center or my books at drwillcole.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Today's guest is a brilliant human being, dear friend of mine. I actually serve on her medical advisory board. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology uh, from the University of Cape Town and the University of Pretoria in South Africa, where she's from. She specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. We talk all about that today. But since the 1980s, my friends, she is a pioneer. She's researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to actually study how the brain can change, something called neuroplasticity, something that I use a lot in my functional medicine center. She pioneered this research. So if you want to learn how to break ruminating thoughts, break toxic thinking, break anxiety, break depression, break this sort of negative epidemic of mind-brain problems. She has the research behind it on exactly how to do it. So if you're going through toxic thoughts, if you're going through ruminating thoughts, if you or you, someone you love is going through anxiety, depression, any one of these things, by all means, you cannot miss this conversation. This is world-changing if you take action on what Dr. Caroline Leaf says today. So let's get right to the conversation. This is my conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life 
and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. My friend, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking to you. You and I can talk for hours about all these these holistic approaches to being healthy. <laughs> uh, for sure. I know. I, it's always fun when we get to catch up and I'm excited that we get to do that with everyone listening right now. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. So tell everybody that's new to your work, that's maybe hearing about it for the first time, what is your amazing work? I mean, I'm such a huge fan of your work and I want people to know about it. So walk us through. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Will. Um, well, I've been involved in the mind-brain sort of research field for 38 years now, and I practice clinically as well for 25. So all through my career has been a, a research and clinical career. And then the last sort of, I, start, I, I stopped practicing about um, 10 years ago because I just decided to uh, started writing books and teaching around the world and trying to do both and research was, was kind of difficult. So now I don't practice, I just teach and write books. I, I'm just about to release my 19th book and um, same time as you're releasing yours so we're super excited and essentially what I do is teach people how to understand that what the mind is you know that's an area that's very misunderstood we, we talk about mind and emotions and brain and they kind of all intertwined but they they are separate things and you know mm -hmm. how they how they work how what is the mind and what is the brain and what is the connection between the mind and the brain and can you manage the mind to manage to change the brain that's been a big area of my work and I also talk about neuroplasticity, which is how the brain changes in response to the mind or mind. So essentially, we can use our mind to change our mind to change our brain. And I did my initial research with people with traumatic brain injuries and severe brain damage and then in trauma, uh, dementias, Alzheimer's, that kind of thing. Um, to kids with learning disabilities, adults with learning disabilities. And I showed with my research Back in the 80s, when they said the brain couldn't change, I said, no, I, that's not, it cannot be right. There must be, if you teach people to use their mind, to consciously and deliberately, intentionally use their mind, their brain will change and their behaviors will change because the mind works through the brain. So that's where I launched my initial re neuroplasticity research. I did some of the first research in the world on neuroplasticity, showing that you can change your brain if you've got traumatic brain injuries. We had, uh, had some of my patients that went from literally being written off by neurologists as vegetables, ending up getting degrees. So, you know, I just saw too much. And then I spent yeah. 20, 25 years well, in South Africa where I grew up. I was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in South Africa. And I spent uh, 25 years in clinical practice there and doing research, but I went into the field. So I worked in the most traumatized areas of Africa, South Africa and Africa. And there was tremendous political issues, as everyone knows. And there was tremendous racism. And so I worked in areas that had not been, that didn't have good education, were terribly traumatized. I worked in places like Rwanda. So if my goal was to try and understand humans and mind and if what if we can get our mind under control, can we deal with trauma? Can we deal with those toxic traumas? Can we change learning disabilities? Can we improve dementias? Can we learn to function more effectively? And that's what my research has been. I've just done some clinical trials recently. So that's a big, long answer to, to a big question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this concept of neuroplasticity that you touched on, I will maybe want to go back to it for a moment because many people can hear it in passing and not realize the real life implications of that and what that can mean to somebody in their everyday life. So could you explain like why that's important? The fact that our brain is plastic, it has plasticity and what that means. Absolutely. And that's such a great question. Do you mind if I use some props? Yes, let's well, do it. Because, okay. So here's a, here's a prop of a brain and you know, We've had so much focus on the brain over the last sort of 40 years that people tend to, as an, and I mentioned this already, think that the mind and the brain are one word, but they're not. They're two separate things. So this is your brain and your mind is separate from your brain. Your mind is, this, is you, this energy force, your ability to think and to feel and to choose. And it moves through the brain and the brain responds. Now, as it moves through the brain, that actually creates a change in energy in the brain. It creates a change in the 
chemistry of the brain, in the electromagnetic in, um, flow in the brain, and also the genetics of the brain. So as you're listening to me now, you are, you are pushing you are, my words that you're hearing and the visual images are being uh, processed by your mind. You're thinking, feeling, and choosing about what I, uh, uh, the information I'm telling you. And, that, and then you're pushing that through the brain and the brain is responding. And as it responds, it's changing. And that's neuroplasticity. So the brain is changing in response to your thinking, feeling, and choosing. So mind is how you think, feel, and choose, those three. It's an energy force. And as it moves through your brain, your brain is physical. As it moves through your brain, your brain responds. So your brain's a very complex responder. So your brain's never the same. It's always changing. It's as you wake up in the morning, you are responding to life. You're thinking, feeling, and choosing all day long in response to life, which means you're changing your brain all the time in response to life. And the changes in your brain immediately impact your entire body. So if you look at just this model of the body, what you, what's going on in your brain, in, so you experience life through your mind, your brain, it, it moves through your brain, your brain changes, and then that change impacts the entire body in incredibly fast speeds, 400 billion actions per second. The mm -hmm. words you're hearing now have already impacted every cell of your body, which is 75 to 100 trillion cells of your body. So that's the mind-brain-body connection, which I've been researching for 38 years. Neuroplasticity related to that is the brain's ability to change. And when we talk about changing the structure of the brain, which is neuroplasticity, neuro meaning brain, plastic means to change, we're talking about changing what the thought structures look like in the brain. So we have our brains made up of different tissues and it's got different parts to it, but the basic tissues are neurons and glial cells and neurons look like trees. And glial cells also look like trees that play a support role. But at this stage, we understand that um, the, our, our memories are built onto these thought trees. So when we talk about thinking, feeling, and choosing and changing the brain, we're actually growing these trees. So you're growing trees now like this in your brain in response to my words, which means you're changing your brain, and that's neuroplasticity. And we can mm -hmm. direct neuroplasticity. That's what my research has shown over these 38 years. We can direct what we grow in our brain and what it looks like. And we can change what we've grown if we grow toxicity in our brain. And I always use this tree to show toxicity. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. You want to unpack that long answer? I love that <laughs> uh, so eloquently stated. And that's really a, a topic of your next book, which before we get to the book, can we talk about, you said it in passing, like it was no big deal, but you said your 19th book. That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. Uh, oh my goodness. So how... 19 books in, does it feel any different than the first book? You know, every book is, is as you know, you've written books as well, Will. Mm -hmm. it's, every book is, you think, oh, this one will be easy. And then you write it and it's more difficult than the previous one. And every mm -hmm. book you think, I love this is my best book. And, and you think everything with the past books is not good. So it's constantly, it's such an organic mm -hmm. process. It's very difficult to do. Um, I've, I write scientific papers too. And quite frankly, I find them easier than writing a book. Because it's it's just to write a book to take complex science concepts like you and I do and put that mm. into um, digestible format that actually mm -hmm. will help people change their lives is not easy. So, but I love it. It's just who I am now. I've written so many that I don't intend stopping here. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's you're definitely being used for so amazing things and bringing up things and talking about things and exploring things that really aren't talked about um, and okay. need to be discovered and need to be not just discovered, but then disseminated to everyday people um, because yeah. this the epidemic rise of brain health issues. And uh, I mean, it's really the topic of your book. I yeah. think it's just so important. But the title of the book, which is amazing, it's Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. I would love to unpack all those things because if you look at anxiety, stress, and toxic yeah. thinking, those are three things that are so pervasive in our world and people don't really have any effective tools known on how to overcome these things. So what was the genesis of the book and tell us about it. Thank you so much. Well, I can show you a picture of it if you want to see what it looks yes, like. We, we quite, we, yeah, it is. We love the cover. So cleaning up your mental mess and you can clean it. So it's very much, I want people to recognize and realize and be empowered to recognize, to realize that those thoughts that can drive you crazy, that you feel like my head's just either you're disassociating or you've got yourself caught up in a ruminating hamster wheel and those thoughts are controlling you and you don't know what to do with them, and overthinking and all these things that we do with our mind, uh, people pleasing, how do we deal with toxic people and trauma and everything, the mind drives everything. 
And so mm-hmm. I've tried to explain and take 38 years of research and kind of, which culminated in my most recent research, which I did over last year. And, and um, you on my research board, just for those people that are listening. And basically I've updated all my research and I've summarized that into this book. And I've then, so that it's, it's, there's the is science in the middle, but there's a really easy introduction to, to this concept of what is the mind and what is mind management and mm-hmm. then the science behind it. And then there's a whole, the majority of the book is practical, how to apply mind management in your life, dealing with things like acute trauma and breaking bad habits and building good habits and dealing mm-hmm. with toxic, just the day-to-day stuff of like if if you get caught in, someone sends you a toxic email or you've got to deal with another news broadcast or you've got to deal with an issue with your children or your boss or your whatever, just the day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. All of that's mind. And then diet, exercise, you know, your, your world with eating properly. You've got to use your mind to listen to what you're teaching us about food. So our mm-hmm. mind has, and then you've got to also manage your mind to actually apply what you're teaching us. So yeah. this book teaches you about what is the mind and how can I use my mind to eat properly, exercise properly, manage the traumas that are holding me back and destroying relationships and causing mm-hmm. me to suppress and producing all these weird behaviors and and then how do I deal with those acute things that happen that you are, are unexpected and out of the blue car accident or a death of a loved one or loss of a job or huge financial things or whatever and how do I deal with that and how mm-hmm. do I deal with the day-to-day stuff and how do I deal with those bad habits that I've developed you know how do you get out of this overthinking and ruminating that's what I have poured into this book in a mm-hmm. very very a practical way so essentially it's learning what the mind is and how to manage it and mind management is essential. If, if I can say one thing for my 38 years of work in this field, and honestly, we reach thousands in my practice and reach millions now with my platform and, and with the books. You sold millions, quite a few million books with all the 19 books that I've written. And what we essentially, if I have to underline a key thing, is that if people recognize that they, what the mind is and that they can control it, that changes their life. And so when we talk about managing your mind, we're talking about managing your thought life. Mm. And you know, if you think of it, so many people, I mean, they say to you, well, they say, we, we all, like, what do I do with these thoughts going through my head? How do I deal with this feeling, the feelings of anxiety, depression, et cetera? And that mm-hmm. brings me to my next sort of part of the book is, or the, the concept behind the book is that when we talk about mind management, we cannot not separate it from mental health because mental health is the big buzzword. So I explain in the book, I do explain mental health and the link to mind management. Mental health is basically managing your mind. So when you know how to manage your mind, you will be in mental health. Because when you're in managing your mind and you're in mental health, you're going to listen to, to Dr. Will and you're going to eat properly. You're going mm-hmm. to exercise. You're going to know how to deal with those traumas. You're not going to suppress stuff. You're going to not allow negative thoughts to dominate. You're going to embrace them and change them. So it's a, it's a lifestyle necessity. Like you need mm-hmm. to eat, you need to manage your mind. You will, if your mind is a mess, your diet, your exercise, your life, your, your relationships, everything is a mess because mm-hmm. you are doing those things. Your mind is you. So if you're not managing you, then all of that's a mess. So yeah. I, I'm teaching people in this book how to understand how to manage yourself. And if you think that the easiest way to understand this, and then we can unpack it in a bit more depth if you want to, is you can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you cannot even go three seconds without thinking. Mm. So your mind never stops. During the day, your mind is thinking, feeling, and choosing in response to life and building these thought trees into the brain. And then at night time when we're sleeping, we're sorting out the thoughts. So our mind just never stops. So we've got to manage it. So this book's all about that. So you, you, when you say mind management many people are not managing their minds properly and they're swept up in that incessant thoughts. Or like you said, there's ruminating thoughts. Something specifically that you talk about is these five steps that can help reduce anxiety and depression by up, you said in in the book and throughout your work up to 81% according to clinical studies. What are these five steps and how how can they help? How does it work? Okay. So it almost sounds to be good to be true. So what I have put into the book is some uh, graphs and description of my latest research in 
very simple form and you can skip over those sections, but there's summaries of them. But essentially what I've just done in my most recent clinical trials is we, I wanted to see if we took a group, an experimental group where they, the group got an actual mind management strategy and then one in the control group that didn't get to the mind management strategy. So what we had, so it's called a random control trial, as you know, and what we did was we bought, um, we had um, these, these two groups and one, both groups were tested. So both groups, their brains were tested. So we looked inside the brain at the, at the energy. We used QEEG, which is really ref, very, very accurate in terms of reflecting how you're managing your mind because the energy, the, your mind is energy. So it generates energy and we have these different waveforms that go through our brain. So it's like, it's the easiest way to understand this is if you think of the waves in the sea. And if you think of the deepest waves at the deepest part of the sea, they're big, big, huge waves. We would call those delta waves. Then as you move closer in your boat or whatever, the waves are still big, but they, they're not as big. We'd call those theta waves, still kind of big swells. Then you get closer to the shore and they start peaking. And at the peak, then you start getting that crest with the, as the water starts whooshing down. That would be your beta as the wave builds and high beta as it whooshes down. And then as it hits the beach and it's a whole lot of ripples, we'd call that gamma. And then the whole thing goes back and then the whole cycle repeats itself. That's what your brain does. So when you're managing your mind, we're getting this very regular flow coherent between the two sides of the brain. That allows us to have cognitive flexibility, to think clearly, to embrace and process and reconceptualize and all these things. And we kind of manage, have ups and downs. But when we don't manage our mind and we're just reactive and we're just getting buffered by everything that's just hitting us, the news, the kids, the issues, the whatever, we feel completely burnt out. And we see that in too much of the, think of the big waves that are crashing on the a beach, with too much of that, too much of these huge waves building and hitting the beach. And it's too much of one kind of wave, which creates almost like a tsunami effect in the brain. And then mm -hmm. you have a lack of coherence between the two sides of the brain. So this is this creates a terrible mess in the brain. It affects the chemistry chemicals in the brain, which then affects the chemicals in the body, which then causes inflammation in the brain and the body, which then rises, raises the cortisol levels and drops the DHEA levels. And, and now we, in your world where we start seeing change, massive changes in the body and your heart's affected and your immune system's affected. And so in this research, I looked at people's brains. I looked at their, in, at their blood. So we looked at DHEA and cortisol. So we looked at blood. We looked at DNA. What's going on in the DNA? And we also looked at psychological measures. We did certain scales. But most importantly, well, what we looked at was people's stories. Every single person has a unique story. And that unique story is how you uniquely respond to life. And what we found overarching was that those people that received both the experimental and the control group got all the same testing, this brain stuff, the blood stuff, the DNA stuff, the psychological stuff, the story, and so on. But the experimental group got the five steps, which I call the neuro, neuro cycle, neuro for brain cycle, learning how to cycle through your brain, learning how to drive your mind, control your mind, and control the neuroplasticity in your brain. So directly directing the neuroplasticity. You can do that. You can learn how to do that. So in 38 years, I developed the research and the techniques and refined them and put this extremely complex 38 years of research into a five-step process that I've been using clinically for as, as long. So as I developed it 38 years ago and I developed a theory, and I've used it with patients and I've used it in research, I've constantly developed it. So this book has the latest, most updated version of it. In the 90s, when I first started testing this, I showed that when you use these five steps of the neurocycle, which I'm going to explain in a moment, you can improve your functioning by up to 35%. Now, in my most recent trials with the advanced version, and it, I showed up to 81%. So what that means is that when you know how to think properly and think and feel and choose, when you know how to manage your mind through a very controlled mind management process, you can be empowered to control anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera, by up to 81%. So, and when you're doing that, that's when we saw significant drops in the homocysteine levels. So inflammation in the brain dropped, cortisol levels stabilized and did what they're supposed to do up in the morning, down, down in the evenings and the balance between DHA and cortisol and, and all that kind of stuff. We saw um, changes in the DNA. So for example, the DNA, as we know, is made of chromosomes and chromosomes are like little X's. And where you see my nails, you'll see those are telomeres. And telomeres tell us about biological health, biological aging, cellular health, and they have, are a proxy for emotions, which means mm -hmm. how you're managing your mind is very much reflected in the telomeres because as your cells replace, the telomeres 
they also they they also replace and if they if you if you're not managing your mind they don't they're not strong so they get weak and weak and weaker which means your body gets sick and sick and sick and more and more vulnerable so we even had some subjects at the beginning of the study world that had a biological age that was 30 years older than the chronological age so in other words we had 30 year olds that would sick 60 year old bodies yeah. by the end of the study which was nine weeks long their the age, chronological and biological age had matched. So in other words, their cell health had gone back to um, what the age should be and some had even got better and that was significant. Those, that, that significant. was within, within the, within the experimental group. Those without mind management got all the testing so they became aware of their problems. So they, the testing show that made them aware I'm, I'm suppressing, I'm battling with depression, anxiety, whatever, but they didn't have any tools to manage. And I, I did this on purpose to show that if you if you're just aware of your stuff but you don't do something about it, you're going to land up in a bad place. And our control mm-hmm. group, they did. We had people that stayed with biological ages 30 years older than their body. That their brain had the tsunami pattern the whole time. That their homocysteine levels went through the roof. The information they were at risk for so much. After the study, we did give them the mind management, so people can breathe a sigh of relief. But during the study, there was a distinct difference. So summarizing all of that, what did I tell these patients to do, all these subjects in the study to do? What I have been doing for 38 years with all my patients, and it's the refined, updated version. Basically, when you are listening to, as you're listening to me now, you are gathering information. You're listening to me. I'm giving you words. When we gather information in a very focused way, we embrace it. So, it, you know, when you think of an embracing, embracing a loved one, you it's bringing it into the fold in a loving way. So, I um, the first step is to gather awareness, to embrace what you are dealing with, to literally stand back and observe your own thinking and say, okay, what are the signals in my life? What are the behaviors in my life? What's the perspective in my life? What's telling me about where this comes from? It's an embracing of that. Um, so the mm-hmm. first step is embracing. The way I'll do this, I'll give you a big picture, then I'll, can, you can ask me some questions or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I've got an analogy that really helps to understand this. Sure. People don't embrace. We're in a society where we are trained that is to see any negative emotion as bad for you so if you're feeling depressed or anxious it's considered an it it's an illness it's a disease of the brain it's a neuropsychiatric brain disease scary with words like that so anxiety depression schizophrenia bipolar ocd these ptsd these have become like cancer you say the word cancer people's heart drops you say those words people's heart drops mm-hmm. but that's not the truth because cancer is not the same as anxiety. Anxiety is not an it. Anxiety is a response. Mm. It's a warning signal. It's a huge, big umbrella warning signal. It's not a specific type of diabetes or cancer. That's a biological model. That works for the brain and the body. It doesn't work for the mind. And you are 99% mind. So just quickly coming back to this analogy, this is not 1% of who you are. Mind is 99% of who you are. Okay, so if you think of that, mind is this is this energy. It's this you, this thinking, feeling, choosing. So if we're not managing ninety nine percent, the one percent will go haywire. Okay, mm-hmm. so when we when we talk, when we we live in a society that is not encouraging us to embrace, it's encouraging us to identify and suppress. If mm-hmm. you have anxiety, that is a clinical disease. We need to identify the symptoms and we need to suppress with a drug or some kind of sort of techniques to just put a, pl- a plaster on the a band-aid on the wound okay so that's and that doesn't do anything we've been doing that for 50 years we haven't been embracing we've been suppressing we've been saying it's a biological thing we've been saying that it's in your brain and the brain is producing thoughts and the brain is producing depression the brain can do nothing if you did your brain does nothing your brain without you is nothing so you use your brain. There's an interrelationship. Your brain responds to your mind, but your brain's dependent on your mind. So that depression is not coming from your brain. That depression is coming from a life experience that you are processing. So if you get abused, you get raped, that's an experience that you process. And that processing through your mind gets built into your brain. You build that rape into your brain. That is now a toxic thought in your brain. Your brain can't handle this. Your brain's not designed for toxicity. So this creates an abnormality in the electrical chemical flow, the, which impacts on the body and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. if I don't embrace that, if I don't bring this 
up, gather awareness of it, step number one, then this stays, and I just suppress it with a diagnosis, you have clinical depression, and here's a drug, boom, and the drug numbs the brain and damages the brain, it just numbs the brain, doesn't it? so you mm-hmm. may feel better, but it's actually creating iatrogenic problems, which is increased problems. You're not, that thing is still there. So what we see after 50 years of this, oh, you've got clinical depression, you're depressed. Oh, you've got clinical depression. Oh, okay, let's suppress the symptom. That's bad. That's bad. 50 years of that has caused an increase in uh, mental health problems and added another factor um, due to mismanagement of mind, but it's, it's added another factor and that's iatrogenic brain damage, which is shortening people's lives by 15 to 25 years. So we see from not embracing and, pro- and processing and reconceptualizing, we're seeing that people are worse off now than they were 50 years ago. Mm. That, the, that the depression, anxiety, and not only are they more depressed because you're not designed to suppress, they've now got to deal with brain diseases that are from medications, which are chopping people's lives by 15 to 25 years. We saw a massive reversal in population statistics between 1999 and 2014, where for decades people have been living longer. Suddenly in 2014, that's reversed. People Mm -hmm. are dying between 15 to 25 years younger. And when they have a mental health label, that you can chop off another sometimes up to 20 years. And that's all preventable. Lifestyle diseases, which is your world, okay, where you are, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with those consequences of bad people living in, in, in 50 years ago, not only did we have the suppression model of mind, but we also introduced modern American diet. So mm-hmm. we had two terrible factors and the advance of technology, which is technology is great, but it mismanaged people have become sedentary. So you, you bring in bad food, you suppress people's emotions. Now their mind's not working, so they can't control it. They're not eating properly. They're not managing their mind. They're now using technology they're getting so busy, they've got hurry sickness, they're not sleeping. And now we're sitting 50 years later with people dying 15 to 25 years younger. So mm-hmm. my work comes in in teaching people that unless you embrace, you're not going to deal with it. The only way out is through. And mm-hmm. there's a study that just came out actually that confirmed, I found this in my research, and there's a study that came out of combined study from Japan and, and Texas, where they said that if we view, the way you view emotions, like if you have anxiety, depression, frustration, anger, um, OCD symptoms, uh, angst, hovering anxiety, whatever, guilt, shame, if you see, oh, those are terrible, they're bad for me, they're going to kill me, then your body goes into stress mode and 1,400 neurophysiological responses will fight against you instead of for you. But if you say, oh, actually, let me embrace those. Those are messages. They are warning signals. They mm-hmm. are telling me something about myself. If, can you see the difference there? Instead of saying, yes. oh, those are terrible, I can actually say, no, those are are making me feel terrible, but they're not terrible because in them is a message, in them is a solution. The way Mm. out is to look at those. So if I embrace depression and if I embrace anxiety and in the midst of my tears and feeling like I can't cope and carry on, as soon as you embrace, you weaken because the minute you embrace, you're pulling up the toxicity. And we see from neuroscience, which is my world, is that then as soon as you bring something up, look how it's kind of shaking, you're weakening it. The minute you're aware, the minute you say, I am feeling depressed, okay, let me embrace that. It's not nice, but it's a symptom. It's a signal of an underlying cause. It's part of the story. It's my reaction. Then I can do something. I've weakened that. So if I can weaken that, I can change it. Suppressing it makes it stronger. Pulling it up makes it weaker. Going through is very painful. So that Mm -hmm. comes to the second step. Once I've embraced, I bring it up. Then I've got to go through processing. And to process, you do three things, basically. You're going to reflect. Reflect is a very focused process where I now I've gathered awareness of this depression, the warning signals, depression or anxiety or whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever combination, grief, frustration, whatever it is, the emotions, you, you, you gather awareness of them. What are those emotional warning signals? You also gather awareness of your physical warning signals. What is your heart palpitating, the stress response, GI symptoms, um, inflammation, whatever, weight gain, all the things that you help people with. Those are all also warning signals that something isn't right in your mind as well. Yes, you're not, probably not eating right, but if you're not eating right, your mind's not right. If your mind's right, you'll eat right because you'll, you'll want mm-hmm. to eat. You're not exercising. Your mind's got to... You can know about exercise, but until your mind's right, you won't exercise. Right. So you've got to read all those warning signals. So the warning, I'm not eating properly. I'm feeling physically awful. I'm depressed. 
I've got this tension in my body. I can feel heart pop it, whatever. Okay. Then as I embrace those, I start pulling this up. Then I look at the little branches and I start seeing my behaviors and seeing the lack of exercise, the lack of eating healthy, the suppression of the thoughts, not dealing with it, getting stuck in ruminations. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm starting to see these behaviors. So focus, the focus step, step number two, is looking at these behaviors in depth. What are these signals showing about behaviors? What are my behaviors? So the focus takes you to the behavior level. The gather step brings us up and makes you focus on the warning signals. The second step makes you start looking at this level, which are all the branches. So for a moment, look at this. It's a tree. Okay, trees, this is a tree. Thoughts look like trees. So this thought is made of memories. Those are branch memories, branches. It, like a tree is made of branches, a thought is made of memories. The memories up here are the behaviors with the warning signals. The memories down here are the origin story, the cause. The mm. tree trunk is the perspective that that has produced. So let's say now you, you go back to the rape. Someone's raped. That's an experience. The seed is planted. The rape is in there, the experience. Mm -hmm. And th that is the perspective of fear, of, of guilt, of shame, of rejection, of confusion, all the terrible things that go with that isolation. And that then produces all these behaviors to try to cope. These are coping with that because there's no understanding of why that happened, especially if you're, let's say, a young child or something. And then that mm -hmm. produces behaviors and over time this carries on. So now if I'm going to fix this toxic trauma, I have to gather awareness of my physical and emotional and I have to look at all these memories. So one thought tree abuse can have thousands of root memories and branch memories. And these branches, this is all the data of the behaviors and the emotions that are, does that make sense? Yeah. And that produces the perspective. Mm -hmm. And so as you experience, what happens is as you experience it, it's like a plant, it grows, the seed, the abuse happens, it's the seed, you grow the root, which is the response, you grow the perspective, which is all that fear that persists through life, whatever, mm -hmm. until dealt with, which produces certain coping behaviors, which then yeah. produces signals. So now when I want to fix it, I have to look, gather awareness of the signals, go to the branches which are the behaviors, which then I've got to focus then on the perspective. What's my perspective of life? Relationships are terrible. I can't trust anyone, whatever. And then that starts showing you the origin stories. So you've got to kind of dig up the roots. And this process isn't going to happen overnight. It's right. a little bit every day. And part of the research I've done is how long does it take mm -hmm. to, if you've been through a toxic thought, if you've taught a toxic trauma or you've developed a toxic bad habit, like maybe a toxic bad habit, people pleasing is a, is a great example of a toxic bad habit. Something started the people pleasing process, which got you into people pleasing mode. And these are your people pleasing behaviors, <laughs> which are generating people pleasing um, signals, which are you frustrated because you don't yeah. feel nice when you people please so the thing happens so you've got to unpack it and that unpacking you use these five steps daily and i'm going to finish what the five steps are over 63 days so before i come to the 63 days let me quickly finish the five steps so we gather awareness we focus to find this down to here and then as we focus we need to write when you write down things, we all know we must write, but there's a million things that happen in your brain. You actually, when you, and there's a specific way of writing that I teach called the metacog, which literally helps you dig into the non-conscious mind and find these, dig, like a spade digging under the ground and pulling these memories up. Right. And the writing helps the brain energy to flow, those waves to flow. And it um, brings, it increases what we call the alpha wave, which helps you to look deep inside the non-conscious wave. When we're so busy, the alpha wave gets blocked and we don't see what's going on and we become very reactive and we kind of just get stuck in these behaviors, you know, mm. that stuck feeling. But when we start going through this process of let me gather, let me refocus, let me write down what I've reflected on in terms of the branches and what I'm starting mm -hmm. to see here, that writing process takes you even deeper. And you start seeing why. And your basal ganglia, which are parts of your brain that enable cognitive fluency and um, intelligence um, and to increase, all of, all of your skills improve. So you become deeper, more aware, more insightful, and you start finding things. So the alpha wave increases. You start getting a lot of theta energy, which brings healing and peace in, amidst, in amongst the tears. I mean, when you see this stuff, it's scary. 
So initially yeah. you can you can feel worse before you get better, which is called the treatment effect. But you, you're managing it. So there's a feeling of anxiety, but there's a feeling of management. And we saw that with my subjects in the clinical trial, that at day 21, they said, I still feel depressed. I'm still experiencing depression, but I know what to do with it now. I feel a bit of anxiety because I've got to deal with this stuff now, but I've got a management plan. And that's the difference with the yeah. people, the control group. They saw this stuff, but they didn't have a management plan. So they were freaking out. They didn't know what to do with this. Right. So the third step is writing. The fourth step is then to go in and look at the writing and, and look at, it's called recheck. It's to find your patterns and triggers that have set you into this place so that you can actually um, now say, okay, those are my patterns. Those are my triggers that I don't keep doing this. And then the fifth step is an active reach, which is a profoundly powerful um, way of putting like a full stop on a sentence, which ends the sentence. So you do this, these five steps daily for about seven to 30 minutes. You end with an active reach and an active reach is like a keeping you a little statement with a visualization. So it's something like, yes, this is really hard work, but I'm in control or I'm shifting mm -hmm. the power balance. So it's a general, simple statement. With, and then you can visualize something like a rose or something beautiful. So during the course of the day, when you move out of working on the neurocycle and you go back mm -hmm. into the day, you can't think about this all day. You've got to stop. You've got to have a full stop. Your active reach is that full stop. And you basically have it. It's also reminding you how you're changing. So the active reach is a statement that shows you how you are reconceptualizing this thought mm -hmm. and basically going to change it into the future. So during the course of a day, you would, you would practice saying your um, active reach seven times, which takes you seven seconds, 10 seconds. But that profoundly removes, en it's profound because it removes energy from this to the mm -hmm. new reconceptualized thought that we're forming. So on day one, you do five steps. On day two, you do five steps. On day three, each day something else is happening. By day seven, there's major changes in the brain. This is getting weakened. You're starting to build this. The energy is moving from this one to this one. By day 14, but it takes 21 days to make this week enough that you've deconstructed it and you've yeah. reconstructed. So it's daily five steps to embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing the whole concept. And you do it over 63 days, 21 days. After 21 it. days, you've got 42 days, and those 42 days are to stabilize the new reconceptualized thought. You can still remember how you were, but this is how you are. And if you mm. don't, this is very weak. It's like a weak plant. If you don't water it, it's not going to grow. So this now will not change my behavior enough. It's not strong enough. And if I don't practice it, then this is very weak now, but you mm -hmm. still, you never forget your past because your past is part of your story. But if you don't spend the next 42 days practicing using this, like watering the plant, it won't grow and it won't have enough energy to yeah. dominate the old way of thinking. And that's where people, most people give up around day four. I'm talking about 63 days to change. And it's daily, 70 to 30 minutes a day. So by daily, and it takes, honestly, the 42 days will all you do is spending one minute a day doing an active reach, just to remind yourself that this is the new thought. Put it on your phone reminder, we've got an app. We've actually got an app called the NeuroCycle. And that app, it used to be called the Switch. It's called the NeuroCycle now. And that, um, and we'll send you the link for that as well. And that yeah. basically, I walk you through this process. And the, so 40, and you can put the reminders in the app and in that, and then it pops up and reminds you. And the detail, what I've just described in a lot of detail is in detail in this book. I walk you yeah. through exactly how to do this. Four toxic traumas, four toxic habits, four dealing with acute trauma, the big traumas, the small traumas, breaking bad habits, building good habits, even diet, exercise, sleep, how to get sleep begins when you wake up in the morning, how to yeah. use a neurocycle with your kids for what I call neurocycle life hacks in the moments. Let's say that you have a situation and you're suddenly just very disturbed by that situation and or you're, or you're disappointed and you've got to get your mind together for a presentation in the next five minutes. You can do a five-step neurocycle in 30 seconds and it brings you back on track. So the neurocycle is how you control your mind to change your mind, to change your brain. That was a long answer. I hope I that made it. sense. I'll <laughs> repeat back to you some core things. And obviously you go into detail in the book, but embracing... Embracing processing, reconceptualizing. That's it. And this neurocycle, these specific tools of processing, which you mentioned, like the writing and and, and five the specific, steps, yeah. It this is actually 
for people to to hear it in a different way. This is what's changing the neuroplasticity. This is what's yeah. allowing your brain to change because of neuroplasticity. And, uh, would, would that be a right way to say it? Absolutely. So there's three principles we have to embrace, we have to process, and we have to reconceptualize. The embrace part is not being scared of the emotions, but seeing that those emotions are a message and a mm-hmm. symptom of an underlying cause. So I've got to embrace. Processing is that focusing and unpacking and deconstructing and reconstructing. And then the reconceptualize is what it's going to look like. And then the easiest analogy for the five steps is you think of a house renovation. So let's say you buy an old house, you walk through, it's all moldy and gross and disgusting carpets and you hate it. But you can (laughs) see that the potential's there and it's in a beautiful area. So that's the disgusting house, okay? So now you start the process of you get that awareness. It, It looks ugly, all the ugliness of it. And now you start the process of breaking it down and finding all the broken whatever. And then you start the process of reconstruction. So the, the embrace process and reconceptualize is the deconstruction and the reconstruction. So then you have the renovated house. The renovated house, you remember what it looked like, but you're living in this new clean mental space, yeah. this new beautiful space. Now you can always go back to that. If you let your house go to ruin, it can go back to that again. So you always right. have to be consciously and deliberately active. You know, we develop coping strategies. Like if we have a trauma, in that moment of trauma, we develop a coping strategy. And that coping strategy is very often toxic because it's not really appropriate, but you may be very young. And it may serve you in the moment, but as you get older, that can cause problems in mm-hmm. in relationships. So this is how you would also use a neurocycle to identify why you react like that and then change it into how you want to react. So you never yeah. forget your story. You always want to embrace your story. So the, the embrace process. Yeah, so the five steps basically fit into those three principles of embrace, process, and reconceptualize. Does that make and sense? Absolutely. And when the, you brought up the fact of our the Western modern model of how we handle mental health issues is suppression, it is ignoring, it is numbing. Um, this is the antithesis of that. It's really going in, like you said. The only way. At, through is in, or you know, you have the to really. Only way go out in. is through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the only way to go out is through. That's beautiful. So you go back to the time. How, how much you, is it a day, and for how long? Sixty-three days. You okay. Said? So um, the beauty of the five steps is that they are the processes that I've researched neuroscientifically. So each step, when you gather amazing things are happening in your brain. When you reflect, amazing things are happening. When you write, amazing things are happening in your brain. So each, when you recheck, when you do the active reach, each of the five steps is you using your mind to make profound neuroplastic changes in your brain. So it's so simple, but it's doing so much. It's unbelievable. And they'll see that in the book. Okay, so you do the five steps. If you're dealing with a toxic habit or a toxic trauma, it's going to take, you want to break something down like a bad habit or a toxic trauma, or you want to build a new habit. So let's say they want to learn how to do you know your four your your um, fasting four four week fasting phase, and they want to learn how to get into keto. You can use a neurocycle to train yourself to actually get into that fasting phase. So mm-hmm. you, that to your, your you would gather awareness. I've got to change how I'm eating. I'm going to do my um my eating focus would be eating on is, is incorrect, and the the right the the you would write down everything you're focused on. So whatever you focus on in step two, you, you write that down. In the recheck step, you look back at that and then the active reach is what's my solution. I'm going to follow Will's plan for fasting. And then the next day you could work on, okay, what is the first thing? I'm going to gather awareness of how. And so you would work through the five steps of how you make things happen. So they, they would take your book literally and analyze that into a neurocycle to make them do your work. That's how powerful it is. They don't just mm-hmm. read your book. It's a way of delivering that information from your book into their brain as a thought that they water for the 63 days. And after 63 days, your way of eating will be a lifestyle for them. So the timing, if you detoxing, if you're breaking down a bad habit, if you're building up a good habit, you spend around about 7 to 30 minutes a day on the five steps to work on each of those. So whether it's the learning how to eat well, whether it's the breaking the bad habit or the toxic trauma. It's five, seven to 30 minutes a day. And you stop at that 30 minutes because it's a lot of emotional hard work. Mm-hmm. People are always very tempted to stay stuck, especially when people are very depressed. It's very easy to stay stuck in, oh, I feel like this and everything's affecting me. This is this trains you out of that. You have mm-hmm. very focused, limited time. You'll be like a cell phone. You plug it in, it charges. You use it the charge goes. If you use it incorrectly, like keeping all your apps and stuff open, the cell phone goes flat. 
So if you go too long, well, when you, if you go like, you can go 45 minutes, but I would not go longer than that. Mm-hmm. You are going to drain the battery very quickly if you go too long because of the emotions. If you don't do the mind management, you're going to drain your battery very quickly, which is why people are so burnt out in today's current world. And then they, they, they'll say, I'm so burnt out. Then life hits, then something happens. And because they're already so the cell phone's so flat, the battery's flat, they can't deal with that. And then you have one thing after another. The next minute that the doctor, they've got a diagnosis of clinical depression, which is now putting them in that category of risk for dying younger, and they don't manage it. And then it's one thing after another. And then the drugs cause more problems, the, mm-hmm. psych- the antidepressants, and then you need an antipsychotic. And then, so polypharmacy comes into play. And children as young as two are being given polypharmacy. And it's absolutely shocking. It's yeah. that you, you don't need those drugs at all. Maybe for a 24 hours, you can sedate someone. Anyway, but that's another discussion. So it's seven to 30 minutes a day and you do it daily. And I walk you through it in this book. There's a whole daily program. And I also have the app that works with the book. So if you listen and you read, you can do it at this, you know, basically at the same time. And then you, for the first 21 days, you just, you, you're doing the seven to 30 minutes, five steps every day very guided. In the app and in the book, I give lots of examples of how to little, I've little like worked out examples of neurocycle hacks and things and examples of exactly how to work out a trauma. So there's a lot of easy applications for you to apply into your life. And then as I said, the app, the neurocycle app is you can do the audio and there's, there's all the videos and everything. So you can match the two together. After 21 days, what you've done is you've pulled this up, you have weakened it and you have created a recon, you pulled this one up and you've, you've identified it and you've weakened it and you've reconceptualized. You've seen you created a new one. And in this new one, it looks, you remember the old, but it's like the little cracks inside here. It's little, little branches in between. Mm-hmm. A bit like the Kintsugi principle. Are you familiar with the Kintsugi principle? I'm not. Well, tell me about okay, it. Okay, so reconceptualization is the Japanese Kintsugi principle. It's phenomenal. When, when a beautiful ceramic vase smashes to the floor in a whole lot of pieces, they never just sweep it away and throw it away, which is what we would do in America. They meticulously pick up every piece and they rebuild the vase mm. with gold lacquer. So they create a whole new reconceptualized vase that is beautiful and the gold lacquer is representing the traumas of life. So it's the wow. story. So yeah, this, is, this is the Kintsugi. Reconceptualization is the Kintsugi principle. The abuse happened to you. The uh, bullying happened to you. The bad habit you did. But that's part of the cracks of your life. Now you've changed that. It's now gold. It's the lessons you've learned. It's the, your past doesn't have to, um, you, you can change how you want your past to play out into the future. Yeah. The, the reconceptualization, you cry, it's sad, it's terrible. It's terrible that, that but it's not going to control you. You shift the power balance of this trauma controlling you, this toxic habit controlling you to you controlling it. That's yeah. the shift. That's the eighty-one percent control that I that I was showing in my clinical trials. So you know, cool. so so in the twenty-one days, you're doing this process. At the end of twenty-one days, you've got this reconceptualized Kintsugi principle, beautiful vase, the shattered life rebuilt, and you've turned your pain into your superpower. All those kind of you know phrases we love to say, but no one knows how to do them. Well, I'm telling you. <laughs> This yeah. is how you turn your pain this to your superpower. This is beyond a nice sounding yeah. Instagram quote. This is exactly. the how to do it. This how, is the how, how to, to do it. it. Exactly. This is the beyond the mindfulness and beyond mm-hmm. the meditation, which is part of this. You, you have to prepare your brain and I'll come back to that in a moment. So I'll just fit that in later, but just in terms of timing. So 21 days, it takes us 35 steps for 70 to 30 minutes for 21 days to break down the toxic thought, thought and reconceptualize. That's the embrace process, reconceptualize using the five steps every day. Mm-hmm. After from day 22 to day 42, you spend a minute. And that minute is the final act of reach that you create, which is the final, you just find a phrase that is, this is my new reconceptual. This is my superpower. This is my mm-hmm. gold in lacquer in my, in my Kintsugi principle. You find a little phrase that, that represents that. You type that into the app on your phone or your reminders on your phone, whichever you want or both. And it pops up once a day, you set it to pop up once a day for 42 days and you just read it. So, well, it keeps this into your conscious mind. Every time you consciously think that's my new way of thinking, mm-hmm. you're giving the plant more water, you're adding more energy, more energy, more energy. Eventually, this has enough energy because when it goes in the non-conscious mind, which is, which is huge, if it doesn't have enough energy, it'll stay stuck there and it won't impact your behavior. But mm-hmm. if you spent those extra 42 days, which is 42 minutes over 42 days, it's nothing, you turn this thing into a major player in your life. It's now got enough energy to jump up 
and influence how you focus on that situation. So your next relationship or how you view life. So whatever you think about the most grows. So you think about it, someone who's totally negative and always, oh, this always happens to me. They've practiced that. They've spent 63 days. So it pops up. It's got lots of energy and that's how they view life. So yeah. you can, you need to catch yourself. What are these toxic things that I'm viewing life through? And it'll take you 63 days to commit to it. So that's what I say in this book as well, Will, is that it's not a process of just quick fix mentality. Nothing right. changes with a quick fix mentality as we know with diets as well. You, this is a lifestyle. This is like you eat and drink, as I said in the beginning, you neurocycle. This is something that as you practice it in the morning, you'll find yourself neurocycling automatically during the day. It just becomes the thing yeah. that you use to make your mind work properly. It's a delivery re- system. You're building new neural pathways over these all the time. 63 days too. Exactly, exactly. So good. I mean, beautifully said. I mean, I love the fact that we are all these, we get all can be these reconceptualized vases where our traumas can be amalgamated into something yeah, beautiful. Exactly. And we can use that to reach out because the most natural thing with humans is to reach out to others and to pour our, our experiences into others. And that's what people, what people do. We see that all over Instagram, how people are trying to help each yeah, other. So you know, and, and if I may say just very quickly so people don't get confused, I mentioned mm-hmm. that this is beyond mindfulness. I'm not against mindfulness. In fact, you will see that this is very conscious and very deliberate. And we have a conscious mind and we have a non-conscious mind and we have a subconscious mind. Not many people are aware of that. There's three, the mind has got three parts. The conscious mind's awake when you're awake. The non-conscious mind's always awake. It's the biggest part. It's where all your memories are stored, your belief system, everything about you working 24-7 drives the conscious mind. So all these memories are in there. So Mm -hmm. whatever's not controlled is driving the conscious mind. Okay. Right. So whatever we, how we view life is going to be, whatever's got the most energy is going to pop up. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's this. So when we're more conscious, we can be aware of why am I doing this? What am I, what's driving me? What's the thought that's driving this action? So that's what we've already discussed. Mm-hmm. The subconscious mind is between the two. So when you get that nagging sensation that this is not right, that's your non-conscious mind pushing this toxic ball of energy, which creates tremendous disequilibrium in the body, the brain, and the mind. And you see that in inflammation and everything. When you, the subconscious mind um, is used by the non-conscious mind to push um, a little warning signal into the conscious mind. So when the neurocycle trains to be very deliberate and intentional about listening to the signal from the subconscious mind, which is at just that tip of the tongue, that sense that something's wrong, what is this? It's a tuning in. What am I feeling? Something's not right here. And then it's digging into the non-conscious mind because the non-conscious mind at the core is this beautiful, perfect thing. So whenever there's toxicity, it creates an imbalance and its job is to get rid of the imbalance and it uses, pushes that signal through the subconscious mind into the conscious mind. And we have to pay attention. So this, this book teaches you how to, this neurocycle is teaching you how to do that. I so love that. you've got to prepare your brain first. So your brain's got to do a lot of work. So mindfulness, meditation, breathing, um, havening, which is that, you know, the rubbing, tapping, all these different beautiful techniques that are so dominant in the wellness industry are brain preparation. You need to prepare your brain and increase the resilience of your brain for actually helping you to move forward. So in, in, this, in the book, you'll see um, that there's a brain preparation phase, and then which you do for one or two minutes, and it can be, I, I give a multitude of different exercises for that. Mm-hmm. And that's all the mind meditation and breathing and whatever. And then you go into the five steps. So that's just, but you, what a lot of people are doing is brain preparation only. They're just doing meditation. They're just doing mindfulness. It's not enough. And the research yeah. is showing daily, and I'm sure you've seen this well, that if you're mindful, but you don't do something that you'll get worse. And I showed that with my clinical yeah. trials. You'll actually get worse, not better. You can't just be mindful. You have to be yeah. mindful and you have to do the work, which is so important. So important. I mean, just for people to realize this is that I've had over the years, many of my patients have used your app and your system and it is a game changer in them overcoming things that have been, like you said, their roots, the roots yeah. of the, that dysfunctional tree goes deep sometimes and oh, yeah. to start to unroot that and deconstruct that as you said it takes time but it's a journey that is life-changing for sure absolutely and what's so cool about it will as well is that when you do that seven minutes in the morning it tends to have a beautiful carryover effect as i mentioned earlier on so your whole way of thinking changes so the mm-hmm. discipline of the morning work 
And I always say morning because, as we know, our cortisol levels are higher then, and we just mm-hmm. have more resilience. And if you can't, you can do it in the evening. It's not people don't have to get caught in rules. You do it when it suits you, but I recommend morning if you can. But it carries over into the day, and you find yourself becoming a neurocycler, you, which means that you are actually training yourself to be aware of yourself. You're bringing thoughts into captivity. You are changing that mind. You're renewing that mind. You know, these are the principles that are that you're training yourself to become aware of. And, and okay. there's one more, one more thing I wanted to just, if I may say, sure. just in terms of a resilience thing, there's something that in, in this book that I write about, there's a whole chapter on brain building. And like we've talked about bodybuilding and we talk, your brain needs building. And it is one of the most overlooked mental health tools. No one talks about it. I've never heard anyone except myself talk about this. Mm-hmm. And it's the first thing I ever did with my patients. I would have, and I always took on the patients that no one else wanted to see. So I got all the adolescents that were behavioral issues and juvenile delinquents and adults that people had written off. I especially had, my practice was specialized in working with those kind of um, patients because I knew that if you teach people to use their mind, someone who's really battling, it really makes such an impact. And people had written them off, which is terrible. Um, So I got tremendous experience working with difficult people. But the first thing I would do would not be to hone in on the issues they were having. I would teach them how to brain build. So you can use the five steps to brain build as well. And what that simply is, is it's learning new information. It's the knowledge of how to learn. Our brain craves new knowledge. So when you learn something, it calms you down, it refocuses you, it reboots the brain. It uh, takes advantage of neurogenesis, which is, as you know, new cells that are born every morning and they get incorporated into the structure of the networks of the neural networks during the course of the day. Um, And they're there to be used to learn. When we don't Mm -hmm. brain build every day, those can become toxic waste and affect our sleep at night and increase our inflammation levels and our Mm -hmm. physical and mental health. And people don't know about this. So we just, and honestly, an hour a day, and it sounds like a lot, but if you think of how much time people spend just scrolling through Instagram or social media, I'm I'm talking about like you're all reading the news at the moment. Everyone's reading about COVID-19. And instead of just reading and scrolling through multiple articles, select one, sit down, apply the five steps and actually build a metacog. Um, uh, build, it's, it's a little structure, it's way of writing. Use the five steps um, to, to actually, and I explain how to do it in the book. But don't just read it. Break it down, gather awareness by reading, writing it down, write that information down so that you could actually give a lecture on it. So you could actually stand there and teach a class on that article. If you can just do that with one thing a day, you will transform the power of your brain. You will increase the resilience in your brain. You change brain health immediately. So I would start every session with my patients with a brain building exercise, and then we would dive into the hard stuff, whatever the emotional learning, whatever stuff is. So that, and it's it's transformational. It's a huge part. So there's a whole lot of that in here too. This has been so helpful. And I know this book is going to transform people's lives when they start leaning into it. My friend, thanks. thank you so much thank for taking you. the time out and talking with me today. Thank you so much. Well, I, I always love talking to you and I talk a lot. So thank you for no, letting I, me explain this, these concepts. This is what we need. We need someone to explain it because when we put the work in, we could start to overcome things that have been hurdles for probably for, for many people for their whole lives since they were really Absolutely. little. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to think that, you know, you just a 5% difference or 10% difference will change a person's life. We're talking here about empowering people to have hope that you actually can change or get your, your mind under control and improve your mental health by 81%. I mean, it's and it's unbelievable. There's no drug on the market that can even mm-hmm. come close to that. And this yeah. doesn't. This, this is just you doing it for yourself. No side so effects. Wonderful. No side effects, except good ones. Yeah, no bad side effects, and we can all be reconceptualized bases that are rebuilt. I think that's beautiful. Also, yeah, and we can start yeah. operating in love again. You know, we need to. When people are, that's one of the other things I've seen with this mind management is it changes how people function. They just become so much more loving because you start getting your mind under control. It changes how you see the world. You start operating your natural human yeah. nature, which is to love. I love that. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that, my friends, is the one and only Dr. Caroline Leaf. I mean, didn't you love that conversation? So good. So smart. Anyways, so if you want to learn more about Dr. Leaf, you can go to drleaf.com. That's D-R-L-E-A-F 
Com. You have to check out her new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. I wrote a blurb for the back of the book. I also serve on her medical advisory board, providing a functional medicine perspective on her amazing research. Anyways, definitely check it out. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. All right, everybody, now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. This question is from Sean. Sean asks, what's your favorite way to intermittent fast and why? That's a great question. If you heard me speak at all over the years, I loved intermittent fast or time-restricted feeding, uh, but I have, there's a grace and a lightness to this. It's not super arduous. It's not punitive. It's a flexible intermittent fasting, and that's how I advocate it. As I advocate anything in wellness, there should be a grace and a lightness to this. Not super obsessive at all. Uh, not obsessive at all. Uh, it's, it's really should be uh, born out of just a deep intuition of what your body needs. And not every day is going to be the same. There's a lot of ingredients when it comes to our day and what our body needs at any given time. So this is actually what I talk about at length in my book, Intuitive Fasting. It is, as its name implies, a way to intuitively fast and get to the root cause of our health and check in with our body. So I typically do the plan that's in intuitive fasting where it's a vacillating ebbing and flowing of different feeding and fasting windows. That start off with a lighter window, then go into deeper fasts. So it starts off with like a 12-12 fast, which I'm fasting for uh, 12 hours and eating for 12 hours or eating within a 12 hour period. I'm not eating all 12 hours, but I'm getting my my food and my calories in between, let's just say 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's a 12-12. So I'm fasting through the night until I break the fast at breakfast, as its name implies. But then I typically will do a, more weeks with uh, around an 18 hour fast, which I'll lean into it from there. I'll go into a 12 to six eating window. So I'm fasting until lunch and then I'm eating between 12 and six. And then I fast through the evening until the next day at lunchtime. So then uh, some days, like today, I'm doing an OMAD, which is one meal a day. That's the acronym OMAD. Uh, it's about a 20, I do a 22 to two fasting to eating window. Um, so that's week three in the intuitive fasting book, uh, which is the cellular renewal fast. Those deeper fasts can help with autophagy, which is cellular recycling, sort of our body's anti-aging pathways and stem cell activation, longevity benefits. And then I will do clean carb cycling and do lighter fasts again after those deeper fasts. So it's, it's, there's an intuition there. I want people to eat intuitively. I want people to fast intuitively, but they have to have metabolic flexibility to do that. So if you want more information about that, check out Intuitive Fasting. And I talk about all this stuff at drwillcole.com too, if you want to check that out. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.